Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. Last week, we started a sermon series called The Unknown God, but then the un is stricken out. So it's not the unknown God, but the known God. And we began with Psalm chapter 98, verse 2, that says this, that the Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. And last week, as we began to kind of build out this series, we landed on this truth that God has gone out of his way and continues to go out of his way so that you and I would know him so that you and I would know him, to draw us into a a right relationship with him, to draw us into a restored relationship with him, but in a relationship that we know him and that we are known as well. And that primarily the word know in scripture that is used in both Old and New Testament isn't about cognitive knowledge. It's not about you kind of passing a spiritual SAT test. And so you know a little bit about the Bible and a little bit about the God of the Bible. But that the know word that is used in scripture is primarily tied to the idea of an experience, a knowledge because you have lived it out. And that that's the type of thing that God invites you and I into. And as we began to build out this series, we were looking at the ways that God makes himself known. And we would, lo- we would, we would um, kind of lump those into uh, how to study God, how to know God, how to recognize God. And if you were going to kind of move into any type of systematic study of that, it would be what's called theology. Okay, theology is just a fancy uh, word for the study of God. So uh, theology would just tend itself with that overarching concept. And there's a number of different ways to study or to approach the idea or the personhood of who God is. And each one of those kind of approaches gives us a little bit different lens and a different vantage or viewpoint to understand who God is. And last week we talked about the way that in, in Acts Uh, Paul goes and he begins to speak to the learned people in Athens, the philosophers and those who were the intellectuals. And as he begins to tell them and to bring about uh, a theological concept for them to understand Jesus as their savior, he begins with a number of different types of theological lenses to talk about God. He doesn't start with the Hebrew scriptures. He doesn't start with kind of the, the work and the personhood of Jesus. He's building towards it because those are unfamiliar concepts for them. And so what he starts with is this idea of creation. And he starts with this idea of kind of the narrative of God's handiwork through human history, as far as kind of like a historical theology. The idea of God's demonstrating himself in in nature and in the world and being the creator, that would be what's called a natural theology. And there's a number of different ways to approach this, but Paul leans into those types of uses before he gets to this idea of a revealed theology through scripture or religious experience. And so he's building different kind of lenses or building different approaches for them to have a concept and an understanding of the one true God and what that could mean for them. Because at the time they were just, uh, uh, there, there was a, a polytheistic type uh, of worship. If you were somebody who was religious and then really the dominant religion of the time was the idea of philosophy and reason and all that would come out of that. And so as we began to, to build that in, there's, there's a number of different ways that we're going to 
see how God reveals himself and learn how you and I can know something a little bit more about him if we would engage with that type of lens or that type of view. And so uh, over the next several weeks, what we're going to be looking at, and we're going to start this morning, it's with what's called natural theology. It would be the way that you can know God through just observing and experience the created world. And then we're going to move to next week, talk about the, the way that God has revealed himself through his written and spoken word. It would be more of what would be called a revealed theology. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the ways that those kind of come into conflict with one another this morning, but that's where we're going to be going. The week after that, we're going to be looking at how Jesus uh, is the one who in the flesh demonstrates who God is. In fact, Jesus said something really bold. He said, if you have seen me, then you have seen the Father. There's something about the incarnation of Jesus that gives us another complete picture of who God is and how he would relate to you and I. And then we're going to move from there to what would be called, if you were in a, a theological conversation or forum, it would be called like a pneumatology, the way that God reveals himself through his spirit at work in our lives. And so we're going to be kind of moving progressively through there, but this morning we're going to talk about how does, how does God reveal himself in creation. And I don't know if you've had kind of moments out in nature or moments in just observing the world around you, or maybe in specific areas of scientific study or inquiry where you had kind of these aha epiphanal moments that just kind of like blew your mind about who God was and how he has engaged with creation. Some of my uh, most special moments spent with God has been outdoors. Uh, I, I, I love the outdoors. Uh, I love to do outdoorsy things. Um, and and uh, I love to fish, I love to hunt, I love to hike, I love to camp, I love, I love all of those things. I like being outside in the yard, I, I, I like uh, engaging in outdoor activity. Some of you are like, yep, not for me. I like to look outdoors and then be reminded why I don't go outdoors, and I feel you right now, right? It's dangerous just driving to church right now with the condition of our roads. Our blizzard was like three weeks ago, but it seems like it was yesterday. Let's clear the roads, people. Uh, side tangent, I apologize. <laughs> but as, as a kid, I remember, as a kid, I remember being uh, in awe of the world. Now, if, if I was outside, I was always doing one of three things. I was looking down, right, trying to, looking down, looking under rocks, trying to find bugs, trying to make discoveries, playing. My, I, I was earthy and dirty all the time. Or I was looking out at the world around me, and as, as I got older, like maybe looking and, and gazing. I don't know if you've ever got lost just staring on the horizon, just like how, how, like how far that can go on a clear day. I don't know if you've ever been to the beach, and you just looked out at the ocean and then just like paused and like closed out all the cacophony of sound around you and put away all of the images, and you just looked out, and it just, you can't see the end of it. Or I was looking up, man, looking up at the sky, you know, some of it was something simple, just looking at clouds and trying to find, like, shapes in it. Sometimes it was looking at birds and observing those things. I don't know if you've ever looked up at the night sky and just been, like, starstruck with the amount of just celestial things that are taking place. But there have been moments for me that have been um, significant in all of those kind of just discovery, just living life, the, the tangible uh, material part of being alive and sensing and interacting with the world around me that brought me into contact with not just like 
stuff, but contact with the one who created it. There's been deep moments of prayer, deep moments of praise, deep moments of like surprise and awe and wonder and just like boom, like mind-blowing moments where I've become more convinced of who God is in my personal life because of the way that he has interacted with his created world. God has revealed himself. I don't know if you've thought about this or if you've spent a lot of time pursuing this, but God has revealed himself in the world around us. And unfortunately, there's been times in in church history where the material and the world has been kind of mitigated to something that is less than or even uh, something that has been made kind of a, a vile concept to be avoided. That somehow only the immaterial should be something that we embrace and that we have value for and the rest of it like it's just gonna burn or it's all lost and that impacts a lot of the ways that we view and understand who God is. But have you had moments of wonder, or moments of awe, moments of discovery? Have you been lost looking at the horizon or looking up into the sky or digging in the earth? Like have you bumped into the Lord in those moments? God has revealed himself in the natural world. And you and I, we, we can discover things about God through observing and interacting with the created world around us. And that idea, that idea is kind of at, at, at kind of the, the center of what would be called natural theology. Okay, natural theology would be a way of studying God that is based on a, a reasonable uh, uh, interaction with the world around us, and it's something that uh, is, is, utilizes discoveries of science. And depending on how you grew up and kind of what, uh, what kind of conflict that created for you, those concepts, you might, the idea of you might hear science and think that that's anti-God, and it's, that it's, it's not. That somehow God couldn't hold up to science, that the one who created all things couldn't actually hold up to the, the uh, observation of all things. And I, I grew up in a, at a time period in church history, and I grew up at times in, in different contexts where it made it sound like if you were going to uh, look at the world around you and make, uh, 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 make conclusions about God, or you were going to look at what's called revealed theology, which would be scripture and religious experience, that somehow those things are irreconcilable. And I remember even as a little kid feeling like that was ridiculous, feeling like that was ridiculous, that, that if God created all things, then I should actually be able to study what he created and know more about him, not less. That I should be able to explore and study those things and have a greater assurance of the fact that he's the creator and not somehow reason my way out of that truth. But because there has been times in church history primarily and in kind of these closed um, uh, closed conflict-oriented interactions, you may actually feel like, I'm not really sure about this. I'm not really sure about this. There are things that are, can be challenging to reconcile if you take revealed theology, if you take uh, the, uh, a revealed theology of Scripture and religious experience and look to try to bring that alongside of a natural theology that looks at just kind of what can we know and what have we discovered and how do those things relate. There can be challenges in reconciling those things, but can I tell you that the challenges aren't because God doesn't live up to the challenge or he can't be scrutinized. The challenges uh, are, are created because of your and I assumptions that we come to before the idea of inquiry or discovery. 
natural theology. One of the things that's really interesting, so we talked about this last week in, in the book of Acts, as Paul goes in to begin to speak to intellectuals, he doesn't start quoting Old Testament Hebrew scriptures to them because they didn't study those. That was, it was not something that in their context would be helpful at all. Right? Just like if somebody came to you and started wanting to give you advice on your life and they wanted to tell you ancient Chinese proverbs, like that doesn't mean anything to you. It's not helpful for you. And it, it's, it's, it's disorienting or suspect at best. And so Paul doesn't start with a revealed theology that's not shared, it's not a common language. He actually starts with a natural theology, starts with the idea that God is the one who has created all things and begins to move from there. And what's really interesting is that he didn't just do that in the intellectual quorum. He didn't just do that in that context of talking with philosophers. In the book of Romans we're gonna look at today is he begins to outline what would be really his systematic theology that he gifts to the church in Rome. He begins with much the same thing, this idea of natural, revelation. The book of Romans is primarily concerned with the idea of salvation, the concept of salvation, why it's needed, how it is appropriated, and what the result of it is. And as he's building out this redemptive framework of all of human history, Paul begins, even with the church in Rome, to talk about natural theology before he moves on, because it is the most accessible thing in your life. Like you live in the natural. You live within the world that God created. It's literally, it's, it's your waking moment. And if you can find ways to connect with truths about who God is from just the way that you're living your normal life, it will be something that you are able to build bridges towards deeper spiritual understandings that are out of reach because I can't see that. I can't touch that. I can't sense that. And so he begins with that type of an idea. When Paul begins his letter to the church in Rome, it reminds us, okay, he begins with this idea that all that is, that all that is finds its origin in the one who is. Okay, all that is, all that is created, all that, that is in existence has its origin in the one who is and has created that. And so in Romans chapter one, verse 18 or yeah, one eighteen. we're going to begin here. Uh, Paul says this. He says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and the wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Okay, so this doesn't sound like natural theology, and we're not there yet, but this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, hey, there, there is a brokenness in this world that needs to be addressed, right? Remember, his main con concern in the book of Romans is this idea of salvation, the need for things to be redeemed and restored and reconciled back to God. And so he begins with this statement that says, hey, that, that God is going to look at addressing that problem. And then he talks about this truth that is being suppressed. And the truth that is being suppressed is the person of God at work in his creation. It, it's the ability to relate to God, to know him primarily, and really the need for that in general. And then as Paul begins to say, uh, uh, in opposition to kind of that uh, propensity for people to say, mm, I don't need God, and I don't actually have to acknowledge him, and I maybe will even move to the idea that I just say that he's like, he doesn't exist. As Paul begins to push back against that, he says this, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. So, so Paul's saying, hey, God has made himself known, and everybody God has made himself known to. 
And then it's like, yeah, but what about, what about, what about, yeah, all the questions. And so Paul begins to answer that. And he says this, this is his answer. He uses natural theology. He says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. You know what Paul is saying here? That if you, if you observe the natural world, that if you observe the natural world, you will uncover God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature. You will discover truths about who God is if you are actually engaged in a, a, a curious inquiry about the world around you. So much so that Paul would say this, that even if you haven't heard God's name, you would know or suspect his activity. Because the way that Paul is using his language here is this, God's fingerprints is on all of this. That he's been so at work in this that you would discover things that are true about one who is invisible, eternal, and divine. There's something in that that you would find. God has left his imprint on the entire universe. And that means that what we see and experience has its origin in God. And it's important to understand that that doesn't mean that God is in all things, right? There's a new agey thought. There's a new spirituality that's like because God is the creator and God is kind of the one who holds all things together, Scripture says that. You know, that somehow that God is in all things. Like that idea that God is in stuff and not God himself separate other than and this is created, that's a new agey, new spiritist thought. God's not in the tomato plant that you planted, but it finds its origin. Life itself comes extended from God. God's not in the chair that you're sitting on. So it's important to kind of make sure that we keep our lines drawn straight. But what Paul is saying here is all that is finds its origin in the one who is. Which is a really interesting thing if you correlate this to God's conversation with Moses from the book of Exodus. I don't know if you remember this story, but Moses is out tending sheep. He's kind of been off grid for a while because he's got a shady past, sees this bush on fire, and he's like, that's interesting, not because it was on fire, but because it wasn't being consumed. That was a new thing to him, so it drew his attention, and he came over there, and he ends up in a conversation with God where God says, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. He starts to engage in this conversation with God, and God's sending him on a mission, and God gives him a message, and he says, you're going to go and deliver my people, and this is what I want you to tell them, and Moses is like, hey, wait a minute. I don't, bro, I don't know you. Like, I don't know if you get that from the context, but he's like, um, when I show up, like, I know that you're, I know something significant's happening here, but when I show up, who do I say sent me? Do you remember this exchange? And in, in scripture, this is what's recorded. God says, I am who I am. The, the Hebrew could be rendered, I will be who I will be. A better understanding of it would be this, I am the one who is, or I am the one who exists. I am existence. See, it's a, he, he uses, his, his name spoken there is a being verb. I don't know if you remember that, right, from, from, from grammar. The being verbs, am, is, are, was, were, be, being, been. You don't remember that? You're welcome. <laughs> Look at that, you guys can all pass like second grade grammar, boom! 
He, he uses existence as his name. Like, it, it's the name later on that, that we would call Yahweh. But it mean, it, I am the one who exists. I am the one who is. And all things are because I am the one who is. We can have eyes to see and ears to hear and understand things about God through just interacting with the world around us. It's going to be a limited frame. It's not the only way. You would be hard-pressed to have a natural theology that brought you to a place of uh, a theology that brought you to salvation. But you're not hard-pressed to interact with the world that God created and to discover some beautiful things about the one who created it. His fingerprints are on everything. Every Christmas, we get out uh, a box of Christmas ornaments, and some of them are like keepsakes, and they're important, and then a lot of them are just like things that my kids made at school, and you just like feel bad about throwing them away. <laughs> and every year, we like look at them, and we're like, hey, should we kind of purge these? And we're like, yeah, we're going to get rid of these. I'm sitting there with my kids just this last year, and they're like, yeah, but not this one. It's got my face on it. And I'm like, that's not even a good picture of you. And they're like, what about this one? Like, I really put my heart into it. And I was like, your heart's into it, but your creativity was like, you know, second best. Like, we're having those conversations. But one of the, one of my favorite ones is, is there's, uh, we've got glass ornaments that have my kids' handprints on them. They painted their hands and then they put their fingerprints are on it. And can I tell you that when you look at the world around you, you can find God's fingerprints all over the place. This, the, the psalmist in Psalm 19 says this. He says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. That, that if you were to look at the heavens, I don't know if you've studied astronomy, if that's something that's ever been kind of a part of your, uh, uh, of your schooling or, or something that you've been interested in, but man, like, I had a conversation with my son the other day, and he said, Dad, like, does, does, does it go on forever? And I go, I, I don't know. What do you think? He's like, I'm, I'm not sure. I go, I know it goes a long way, and I know that we haven't seen the end of it, but I, I, I can't tell you after that. Like, it's It's crazy. The stuff that if you, if, if you look at some of the things that come out of astronomy and, and some of the things that they're looking into and the discoveries that they have, and it's like, and there's, you guys, there's more. More. And they're just like, and we just like, here's our guess. Like, it's, there's more. Like, even in, like, the natural world that you and I live in, like, we have, this, we have this misconception that we've put our eyes on everything and that we've touched everything, that we've discovered everything. You know that most of the ocean is completely unmapped and nobody's ever seen it? There's, like, different probes and things that they, but the majority, like, there, there's as much unexplored stuff in the ocean as you could probably imagine out in space. They're finding new species of things that they're like, we didn't know this existed. All, all the time. And we've kind of been lured into this idea that we know everything about all of this stuff and we've, we've limited it down to just kind of like, mm, it's, it's really not that impressive. But we don't, we don't know as much as we think. And every day we're discovering more. Psalm 146 says this, that blessed are those whose hope and help is in the God of Jacob 
whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. The psalmist would, re, re, would remind us that, that God has created all of that. All of up, all of this, all of down, everything in it. And just like you can recognize an artist from their work, whether it's something that's music or whether it's something that's tangible or tactile, like you can see the hands of God in the world around you. Or you can miss it. See, that's the challenge that Paul gives in Romans. He says, uh, since the beginning, God has made it plain to them so that they are without excuse. But as he continues on his treaties, he basically talks about how they've missed it because of the hardness of their heart. It's not that their eyes can't see. It's that their heart can't receive the truth. But man, there, there is so much to learn and discover about God in this idea of a, of a natural theology. I'm going, to get, I'm going to give you four places, four things to just kind of consider, four ways that the, the, just the world and creation gives us pictures of who God is and what he does. Uh, one is, is the concept of order. Order. Like things, putting, things being put together correctly and, and working as they are intended. In fact, even like the idea of like our mathematical constructs is predicated by this idea of order. Like there's a sequential order. There's a numeric order. And then even as you get into kind of abstract algebra and things like that, there are things that as you plug into like the formulas and the way that it, it works because there, there's an order to it. There's an order to the way that the world works. And if things aren't put together correctly, then they don't work. I don't know if, 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 if you've ever bumped into the concepts of what's required for life on earth to exist. It's, it's really fascinating. And I don't mean for you to exist. I'm not even talking about you or people in general. Just for, for the base level of what they would say that this is what an expression of life is. There are some things that are called Goldilocks factors. Okay, what that means is this, okay? You remember the story of Goldilocks? Everybody tracking with me, right? You got a second or third grade grammar lesson. Now you're getting Goldilocks. Like this is the best of all worlds right now, right? Porridge is too hot, can't eat that. Porridge is too cold, can't eat that. But you find the porridge that is just right. Okay, Goldilocks factors are just right. There are no less than 15 Goldilocks factors that are required for life on earth to exist at all. There's no less than 15. Everything from the, our distance from the sun to the size of our moon to the, the, the water. And not just the water, but like the amount of it. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I remember this from, from science class when I was young. Did you know that the earth is a closed system? Okay, what that means is, is this, that the, the stuff that is in it, that makes it up and makes it work, stays in it. That the way that our atmosphere works is it keeps everything that is used to make up air, water, kind of the, what we would say are kind of the basic necessity things, keeps it from expanding out. That our atmosphere does that, acts as a filter even for radiation, and that the way that the size of the earth and its own gravitational 
uh, pole works is, is it makes those things work. The moon, its size, and if it was off a different orbit, everything would be all wonky. Right? And if you would know that if you watched Despicable Me, where Gru wanted to steal the moon, caused all kinds of problems. Right? Even our cartoons can help us here. The speed and the rotation that the earth turns. You know, if we were faster or slower, our days would be longer or shorter. And that that would mess up a whole bunch of other things. If we were spinning too fast or spinning too cold, then the way that the Earth's atmosphere would work and the way that warmth and cold would be distributed around the globe, all of that would go wonky. That there would be large swaths or whole places where life would, would, would cease. Just from that, just from, oh, it was a little too fast today. And that's just, that's just for life to exist at all, to be sustained. And there's any number of ways that you can look at the world around you and discover an order that is precise and intentional, and if it was out of order, would be catastrophic. Just one example. Another thing that you can discover looking at natural theology is you can see design. Design. The way that things are put together and the design that's there and what that kind of results in. So not just order and sequence, but the way things are actually constructed. My, uh, one of my sons got this devotional. It's called How Great Is Our God. And it's just got a, a number of different ways. It talks about kind of the world. It talks about animals and people and nature and just kind of talks about different truths that can be discovered or uncovered or celebrated about who God is. And one of the things was, was really interesting that the, the cells that make up living organisms are made up of all kinds of little things inside there, right? When, when they discovered cells and when they, when they kind of came to that place and were actually able to see it, they thought, oh man, it can't get any smaller than this. And no, it gets smaller because there's smaller things inside of those things. And it's like, it's like space in reverse. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. But in this little devotional, my son, I asked him, I said, hey, what are you learning? And he started talking to me about these things called peptides. Somebody in here probably knows what those are, but inside your cell, there's peptides, there's amino acids that help actually create those things, some other parts that go into that. There's different types of peptides. There's like supercharged ones called polypeptides. I don't know who's picking these names, but somebody is. And these things are like required for the cell to be constructed correctly and it gives instructions on what it's supposed to do and how it's supposed to work and it does everything from like giving information to helping the cell function properly. And I don't, I don't know if you've ever studied statistics. If you're somebody uh, who, who's done that for fun, most of the people who I know who have studied statistics have taken it at NJC and it's the hardest class they've ever taken. They've just come in for prayer and say, Pastor, I'm just trying to get through this. But if you're a statistics person, for, for a peptide to just occur by happenstance. This is how you know you're dealing with ridiculous stuff. Uh, the, the number, it would be one in 10 duodecillion. Okay, you guys, we're making up numbers at this point. You would have one chance in 10 duodecillion, which is a 10 with, or a one, excuse me, with 40 zeros behind it. There's just, they're just, Statistical improbability at some point is just we're making stuff up. <laughs> and you might look and say, yeah, but you know what? But there's a chance. Fair enough. 
So there's a one in duodecillion chance that your peptide, by happenstance, falls into place. But that's not the only thing that's needed for your cell to work. And that's not the only thing that's needed for your cells to come together and do what they're supposed Like, do you know how many happenstances like that that would have to happen for things that we look at in the natural world and we say, yep, that was an accident? Like the statistical improbability of one thing is like a ridiculous number that we make up, but then it has to be like a whole series of those? And our answer is that, well, you know, if you just give it enough time and you roll the dice enough, like it's, it could happen. Order, design. Man, when you look at a flower and it's symmetric and not all janky, like you can tell when a flower is janky, right? If you can't come to some of the Hackbarth Gardens, like our plants are always, they're like, mm, those are special plants there. Like it just, when something's healthy, you can see it. There's design, there's order, there's symmetry. Like you can see that in real life. Let's talk about spiritual concepts. Okay, Paul's main con uh, conversation in Romans, his main concern is salvation. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. His main concern is to draw people out of death and decay and brokenness of sin and to bring them into newness of life, to bring them into to new life. Did you know that just even that concept is something that you can see designed into the natural order of things? The idea of, of, of death happening and then life coming even as a result of that, even in spite of that. Just even in our culture, like, like our context, we're an agricultural context. And we understand that for a seed to be planted, something has to die first, right? The seed has to die and fall to the ground. And then it is planted. And then it's watered and, and, and things go into that. And some, man, some of the science that goes into the agriculture in, in our context goes way beyond like Johnny Appleseed just tossing stuff out of a bag. Where I've talked with farmers in our, in our community where they're telling me the moisture content of their dirt. I don't even know how you register that stuff. They're like, science, bro. Like, I don't know. <laughs> the idea of the change of seasons, some of us are like, Jesus, please change the season. Like, it's been winter a long time. Can we agree on that? Amen. But listen to me, like, spring's coming. I mean, everything looks dead. Spring's coming. Like the idea of new life, like is literally woven into the fabric of the world that you and I see around us. Life from death. His redemptive plan for you and I spiritually is fingerprinted into the natural. Transformation. Transformation. This is one of my favorite ones. Right? One of Paul's big concerns is that you and I would no longer be our old, broken, sinful self, but that we would be what? Made new in, in Christ. Made alive in Christ. That's his, uh, his metaphors that he uses over and over. And he goes out of his way to tell us this, right? That you and I have been made a new creation. You guys remember that? Right? Anyone in Christ is now a new creation. The old is gone. The new has 
come. Paul uses this language all the time. Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its evil desires, and put on your new self, made alive in Christ Jesus. You need to be renewed and transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is the language that he uses about having a transformed life. Those of you who could say, man, I was once lost, but now I'm found, right? I was once dead in my sin, but now I'm alive in Christ Jesus. Like all of those, th- those ideas of being spiritually renewed and transformed. Paul talks about a lot of those things, being a new creation. And when Paul says that you're a new creation in Christ, this is, this is important. The language that he uses is really specific. Some of us, we struggle with this idea because when we think that we're a new creation in Jesus, what we hear is that we're like refurbished. Right, that before like we were kind of broke down and kind of dilapidated and then Jesus like found us at a garage sale and he like put some new paint on us and we got, you know, uh, we've been upcycled, right? Now we're gonna, maybe we'll have a place in the window at the cute furniture boutique. But we're basically what we were before, we're just like lipstick on a pig now. Like we're a little bit better. Like many, listen to me, many believers struggle with this. They feel that way. It's the reason why when Pastor Tom said, you need to hear that God loves you over the other voices, like that, those voices are real. We don't, we don't believe we've been transformed. We believe that we've been reformed. That it's the same old us, we just look a little less gross. But Paul says you've been transformed, that you're a new creation. And the word that he uses here, the, the word creation, it doesn't mean refurbished. It doesn't mean upcycled. It, does, it doesn't mean a slightly better version of the worse you. It means a new creation, holy and completely different. It's the same type of language that comes from Genesis. When God speaks and creation happens, it's, it's a new transformation that you are holy and completely not the same. And it's hard for us to reconcile that because the old us seems to keep showing up and making a mess of our lives. But can I tell you, this is demonstrated in the natural as well. It's a hard spiritual truth for you to grapple with at times to really acknowledge and to walk into in freedom, but in the natural, this gets demonstrated. This is my favorite, this is one of my favorite, like, oh God, you blew my mind things. You guys are all familiar with a caterpillar and a butterfly. Everybody tracking with me? All right, Pastor Ben, we're tracking with you. Right, caterpillar and a butterfly. Caterpillar's living its life. I don't know, I guess there's some cuteness to it. My daughter can see something beautiful in every one of God's creatures. Caterpillars are usually pretty ugly though. Goes into the chrysalis, right? And then comes out a beautiful butterfly. Most of us learn about this in middle school when our teachers say, hey, you know what? Someday you won't look the way that you look right now or act the way that you act right now, right? Like that's our metamorphosis. Middle school is our chrysalis. When a, butterf- uh, when a caterpillar goes into the chrysalis, okay, most of you guys would know this, something happens in there, right? In school, they would say it goes through metamorphosis, right? It goes from whatever this ugly worm thing is to now like this beautiful bug bird, right? So that's what's happening. <laughs> when, the, when the caterpillar goes into the chrysalis, it disintegrates. Like it, it, it comes completely apart. In fact, if you were halfway through it and you were to open it up, it would just be a, it would just be a gooey, mushy mess. Like it, it's not like it's getting a new 
clothes or like kind of stre- stretching some things out. It's not like, a, you know, getting its wings. It, it decomposes. It's almost as if it dies. And then it ends up being kind of reformed. And here's the thing that's crazy. The DNA of a caterpillar and the DNA of a butterfly are not the same DNA. Did you know that? It's not the same DNA. It's not even like it's been like rearranged a little bit. It doesn't, it's, it's not like it's like, well, there's like an extra thing. It, they're not similar. In fact, if you took a caterpillar and just took its DNA and took, the, uh, took the, the butterfly that corresponds to that and just took that DNA sample and you didn't have the observation of natural theology to say, no, I saw this caterpillar and it went in there and then it came out different. If you were just presented the DNA of those two things, you'd say, no, those don't, those don't go together. It's a completely new creation. It's a completely new thing, and it's part of the everyday natural world that you and I live in. If God can do, listen to me, if God can do that with a worm in the natural, you can be a new creation in Jesus. Like his, his fingerprints are all over this world. All over this world. Now, you can entertain natural theology and learn some really cool things about God. But not all of it. It'd be hard for you to get from natural theology to a need for a Savior. It'd take a lot of work. But you don't have to shy away from reason and inquiry because you can find God at the heart of all of those things. It won't give you a full picture on its own, but it could give you a better picture added to it. And that's what Paul begins his letter with, asserting that you and I can know God just by observing the world around us because all that is originates from the one who is. And his fingerprints are on it. Church family, I want to invite you to stand. Worship team, if you would come forward. I'm going to ask you for just a moment just to close your eyes. And that's just a way of, of taking out distractions around you. I just want to encourage you to soften your heart to what the Lord would speak to you today. And I want to ask you kind of a a, a simple question. It's more of an earthy, living life question. What do you think, or how do you think, your relationship with God could grow this week if you used your eyes to see Him in the world around you? If as you were interacting with people, you are looking at them as the handiwork of his hands. As you were just kind of going through, I don't know, a walk outside. Maybe you're actually in a science class. 
How how could your relationship with God deepen this week if you had eyes to see Him at work? Lord, I ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the way that you would relate to us within creation. Lord, at times we have uh, a disinterest in that and maybe even a skepticism. But Lord, you, you came in the flesh. You were incarnate. You, you, you came into time and space. You came into this context. You've promised to, to recreate, to redeem, that there would be a new heaven and a new earth. Lord, you, you've promised to make us transformed, to give us new life. And all of that can be understood through seeing how you have created what is. Lord, give us a deeper appreciation for that. And Lord, give us a, um, give us a tact to interact with people in those, in those conversations. Lord, to be able to encourage people to see you in the world that you've created the heavens that declare the glory of God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in it, Lord, that we would see you in all of that in growing, in growing fashion. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Simple action step for you this week. I want to encourage you to take a walk outside. And if you're like, Pastor, too cold, then look outside, please. Right? Check out a sunrise or a sunset. Take a walk. In doing so, I want to encourage you to take time to really observe the world around you and to consider God's handiwork displayed in that and then to respond in prayer or praise for what the Lord would stir in your heart in response to that.